ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, last time Nathan didn't play, Mitchell took his position. So in my eyes, it was Mitchell's to lose, really. I find it interesting sometimes the chat around different positions and players and choices and become a circus. That's New South Wales ringmaster slash coach Brad Fittler explaining how he was always leaning towards Mitch Moses to replace Nathan Cleary. Dalian medalist Nico Hines, gone. Broncos halfback Adam Reynolds, nope. So why is Fittler gone for the Eels playmaker? How does that impact the rest of the Blues lineup? Can Moses help part the Maroon Sea in Brisbane? I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Nick Captain is the ABC's NRL writer. He is a man who is plugged into the rugby league zeitgeist. Campo, Brad Fittler's gone all in on Mitchell Moses. Why has the Parramatta halfback earned the spot? Well, Brad Fittler sort of pointed out in his press conference earlier today that the last time Nathan Cleary was injured for an origin match, they went with Mitch Moses. That was back in game three of the 2021 series. And he kind of tried to underplay... uh, the, the, the speculation that had sort of surrounded the Blues' halfback spot since Cleary went down with that hamstring injury. Well, the last time Nathan went down, Mitchell played. So the banter around who was going to play, I, I couldn't quite work it out. I'm not really sure what he's trying to get at there because while Moses did play the last time Cleary was injured, it also seemed like they were really grooming Nico Hines for that spot over the last couple of seasons. Hines was 18th man all through the series last year. He was the bench utility in game one. He's the reigning Dalian winner. He's a player whose star seems to be very much on the rise. So I think it was only natural that people would assume that he would enter selection calculations at least a little bit if Cleary was to go down with injury, which he did over the weekend. But I understand what they're going for with Moses. I think he's got a little bit more experience in big games at the top level as a halfback. Well, he got the grand final. So they're winning big games. I think we all aware the the pressure that a number seven wears these days and what they have to do to their team. But uh, they had a great year last year, Parramatta, and big games are big games. They got used to winning them. While Heinz has been really impressive over the last 18 months, that is his first 18 months as an NRL starter, let alone as an NRL halfback. While Moses probably isn't as popular a player as Heinz, I do think his his record for Parramatta this year kind of speaks for itself, amid a, a pretty inconsistent year for the Eels, Moses has been has been really strong. I've definitely learned a lot of lessons from that. I feel like going into this season, so um, yeah, hopefully I'll take that out next Wednesday. And I think he has the the really solid all round game and the organisational skills to kind of step in for Nathan Cleary and and, and do as good a facsimile as uh, as any halfback could have. From Hines' perspective, obviously you touched on an exceptional 18 months. Dallium, medal winner. How unfortunate is he to miss out when he only got that slight taste of origin football? It's unfortunate that it would go down this way, that Hines would only get those those eight minutes in game one and all out of position as well at, at that centre. But while Hines has been really impressive over these 18 months, I sometimes wonder if we've all gotten, we've sort of gotten over our skis a little bit with Hines, there's no disputing his emergence as one of the class playmakers in the entire league over the last 18 months. But Cronulla's record against top eight teams in that time has been pretty poor. The Sharks went out in straight sets in the finals last year. And over the last two weeks, in the aftermath of Origin 1, they've had two really big games, one against the Broncos at home, one against the Storm on the road, and they lost both of those. Yeah, tough, because he's had such an incredible year, really. You know, on and off the field and what he's been doing. And While Hines is 
an emerging talent and an emerging superstar. I, I do think his case for, for the Blues halfback job maybe wasn't as airtight as some people were making it out in the lead up to, to, to this selection battle. What are the other changes that New South Wales has made and what do they tell us about how the Blues might shape up in game two? Well, the big inclusion for me is, is Latrell Mitchell at left centre. You know, Mitchell uh, missed game one with a calf injury that he sustained in the lead up to the match. And um, even though he's still under a little bit of a fitness cloud and probably won't train all that much in the lead up to the game, he has been rushed straight back in. We've been communicating with the South Medical Department and... You know, to get these blokes to next Wednesday, they can't do much on-field stuff, simple as that. We think they're that valuable, that they're definitely worth a risk. Um, I think that's proof that the Blues know that they need a bit of a circuit breaker in their back line. You know, they had so much possession and so much field position in Adelaide, but just weren't really able to trouble the Maroons' defence all that much. So in getting someone like Latrell Mitchell, who can score points and create points as easily as any player in this sport... They're really looking for uh, for a bit of a lightning bolt to strike, you know. But the injury concerns over him sort of um, are a bit typical of, of what Brad Fittler's gone for here. There's two other players, Cameron Murray and Liam Martin, who both played in game one. They're both under a bit of an injury cloud as well. I think their training will be a little bit limited in the lead up to, to game two. We're going to have a lot of players not trained during the week. So a lot of it's obviously going to be mental and how we go about it. That's a really big gamble for Fittler to take because if you'll remember, he had uh, Tom Trebojevic and Josh Adokar in his side for game one. They were both a little bit underdone coming off of injuries, and, and I think the Blues paid the price for that one. So I guess Freddie's hoping that Lightning can't strike twice, and those three players that he's selected under a bit of a cloud will be able to find their best football with the series on the line. It was interesting to hear Fittler almost joking about this being his final chance to save his job. Winning's good. Well, our game's about winning, let's face it. So there's any more of the other stuff. <laughs> We'll be talking to someone else. <laughs> How much do you think those stakes will weigh on the group, or could it actually prove to be a galvanising factor? Well, I think in, a, in an attempt to underplay it, Fittler's kind of showed his hand that he is going to try and use it as something of a unifying factor because I personally think he is coaching for his origin life next Wednesday night. I think if the Blues lose, there's very little chance that he'll be retained for the series next year. And Whenever an origin coach has shown the door, a score of players often follow. I think if the Blues do go down in, in game two, Fittler won't be the only one who leaves. I think there'll be, there'll be several players out there who kind of have their cards marked for a little while. And there's a few that even will be odds on to, to never wear the blue jersey again. So I'm not sure how much Freddie would want to lean on that in the lead up to the game. But I think it's certainly a reality that the team's going to have to confront. Like you said, Stacky, that can be a galvanising force. That can bring everyone together. It can be the Blues against the world, but it also ups the pressure. And the pressure on this team has already been enormous. After losing the series last year, after losing game one, the the speculation and the criticism has really, really ramped up to levels we haven't seen a New South Wales team have to handle for quite a long time now. So the stakes were already high, but it feels like with every passing day, they're just getting higher. Do you get a sense that the Blues camp is also trying to create a siege mentality, even sort of turning the spotlight onto elements of the media to suggest, hey, these guys are out to get us. We're, we're going to be our own little unified team in a little bubble over here. I, I definitely think so. I, and that's a play that's straight out of the Queensland playbook, isn't it? You know, how many times have, have Queensland convinced themselves that it was just them against the world and no one thought they were a chance? And can, can little old Queensland turn up and, and, and do it again? It's not surprising to see the Blues trying to look for a little bit of that. That's quite the challenge. And uh, given the, 
Someone told me we're underdogs, which is, I'm not sure if that works for our favour or not, or who really cares, but yeah, it's always a good, it's a good place to be, fight out of a corner. I can take Fittler's point with, with some of the, the criticism of his selections and, and his approach. I do think that it's sort of gotten to a, a level of vitriol that we haven't seen in, in a good while. You use them right or wrong? Well, it's very much up to debate that one, but right. in terms of what you've picked this thing. What would you debate? Would you say I was right or wrong? I think it's, yeah, there was issues that I would have had, but I don't right. think anybody cares what I think. Right. But in terms of what you've picked this time, it seems a lot, a lot more focused on the hooker rotation and stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's going to be a big part. Uh, I feel like the first game, actually, the interchanges work great. By that same token, if you lose a series and then you lose game one of the next year, questions are going to be asked. While I think some of the criticism is a little bit over the top, I do think sometimes as well you've got to, you know, you, you make your own bed with these things. The best way to silence the doubters is, is, is to win games, and the Blues have had opportunities to do that in the last series in a bit, and they haven't been able to get it done, you know? But maybe this is the, the galvanising force that they need, the thing that can bring them all together and bring the upset in game two. They definitely need something special because... New South Wales record at Lang Park is not strong and no New South Wales team has ever lost game one and then gone on to win game two on Queensland soil. So they're up against it. They got it all to do. So I guess anything, anything Freddie can find to try and give him that little bit, that little bit of an edge, he's going he's gonna to play it, you know? It's always easy to focus on the team that must win. But the Maroons have also made tweaks to their side. How has coach Billy Slater altered the Queensland side and what does it tell us? Well, they've only got the three changes, all, all four star by injury. Selwyn Cobbo's out on the wing and Xavier Coates has, has come in. That was a little bit of a surprise to me because while Coates does have origin experience, I, I think his form with Melbourne's been pretty up and down over the last 18 months, and that's putting it pretty kindly. And considering that they have uh, guys like Dane Gagai and Corey Oates who have both played really well for Queensland in the past. Has missed him, but then the pass is intercepted by Dane Gagai over the halfway, the 40, the Fox chases, see ya, over the 10, he's over, intercept try, Queensland in front. And Philip Sami up at the Gold Coast Titans who's also got a couple of Queensland caps and, and has been in some of the best form of his career. I was surprised that Coates sort of leaped ahead of those three guys. They've got Jeremiah Nanai coming in in the back row for Tom Gilbert. That's sort of a case where they were a little bit short on back rowers. Felice Gafusi has been suspended for a good minute now. I think Kurt Catewell's origin time seems to have come to a close. So, so Jeremiah Nanai, who made his origin debut last year and was so good for the Cowboys and played for Australia and all that, and then has endured a little bit of a... A little bit of second-year syndrome this season. He's going to be brought straight back in. He's got a big task ahead of him, probably playing 80 minutes on the edge of the ruck. And then um, Mo Fodawaka is in on the bench. And he's someone that a lot of fans might not know too much about, but he's a front row from the Titans who has a fair claim to being one of the most underrated players in the entire league. Tackle with Kelly. Here goes Got a little bit of origin experience in the past, but this year he's been playing the best football of his career. So I think the Queensland team on paper is probably a little bit weaker than it was for game one. But when you take into account the boost that they get from playing at Lang Park, you know, you can kind of throw the paper out the window when that when they're playing up there. So it's, it's certainly going to be an interesting one. Certainly an intriguing origin battle for everybody. Can't wait for game two. Capo, thanks so much for your time. No worries, Stacky. Thanks for having me.
headlines. Staying with the NRL for a moment and one-time Cronulla mentor, Shane Flanagan appears to be closing in on the Dragons' senior coaching role. Meanwhile, in the AFL, Marlon Pickett won't play this weekend with Richmond Chief Executive Brendan Gale saying the Tiger star will aim to return to the field for the Round 16 clash with Brisbane. The 31-year-old father of four is facing a string of charges, including burglary, stealing and criminal damage. The allegations relate to the theft of $380,000. Denver is the NBA champions for the first time in their 47-year history after they edged out Miami by five points in a thrilling Game 5 to claim a 4-1 finals victory. Nikola Jokic had 28 points, 16 rebounds and four assists for the Nuggets as he was named finals MVP. Australian Jack White might not have been on court in any of the five games, but the 25-year-old Ford has earned a championship ring for being on the list. He becomes the seventh Aussie to win a ring, eighth if you include Kyrie Irving. And Cam Smith is in Los Angeles preparing to contest the US Open of golf, but the Australian's head is still spinning, along with the rest of the golfing community, following last week's revelation that Liv and the US PGA Tour had brokered a piece. I guess the first reaction was, uh, you know, I thought it was kind of a joke that had come out. Um, and then HE uh, gave me a call and kind of explained what was going on. Um, you know, uh, he didn't really explain too much. I think there's still a lot of stuff to be worked out and um, as time goes on we'll, we'll get to go get to know more and more but there's definitely a lot of curious players um, I think on both sides as to you know what the future is going to look like. It promises to be a uh, interesting week at the third major of 2023. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily produced by Poppy Penny. Thanks to Channel 9 for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.